welcome to this week's Dairy Dialogue podcast for September the 28th, 2018. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this week's podcast is a little shorter than usual, so if you listen to it on the drive home, you'll have time to get depressed listening to the news and weather as well. On this week's show, we'll hear from Dr. Sigalit Hoot from Advanced Lipids on the Latin American infant formula market, and from Ian Clooney, food and drink program manager at Zero Waste Scotland considering it is Recycle Week here in the UK. I should point out that this podcast is also 100% recyclable, preferably after listening to it. And we'll finish with our weekly update on the dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. First up this week is Dr. Sigalit Hoot from Advanced Lipids, a joint venture of AAK and Enzymatech, a member of the Fruiterom Group. AAK is a global producer and supplier of vegetable fats and oils for the infant formula industry, while Enzymatech is a supplier of specialty lipid-based products and solutions. Advanced Lipids manufactures and markets InFat, a specialized ingredient for infant formulas. And while China is seen as the holy grail for many infant formula companies, there are other markets available. And we're going to hear a little about how Latin America is another huge potential market for such products. So I'm really working primarily for advanced lipids and uh, where we uh, produce and we market and we sell um, this ingredient globally. Um, So we sell it in many different countries Many of the brands end up in China because China is by far uh, the biggest market for infant nutrition. But I think it's uh, very well understood that everybody is looking for, you know, the next market and uh, looking around to see where you can uh, identify growth, market growth, and where you want to uh, invest, um, you know, your efforts uh, today because it will, it, it has a, a potential to become a, a significant market. So um, Latin America is uh, something that we identified as, uh, you know, very interesting growing market. And I don't know, I think uh, everybody's uh, is uh, searching and looking. Um, I think Middle East is also very interesting. Uh, Saudi Arabia is definitely growing. Uh, this is also something that people are, companies are looking at. I think um, Southeast Asia, on one hand, it's it's huge in size, really very, very large market. But still, I mean, when we look at um, markets, we look at um, we're looking for the premium, you know, uh, because uh, our, our ingredients are relatively expensive. So we're not looking at the basic uh, formula. We're looking at formulas that can actually uh, have an, an expensive ingredient and, and be part of a more kind of a premium market. So then you, uh, this is why we're looking at markets that are growing and that show signs that uh, people there are now moving uh, more into uh, middle class and they have more money and then they can make more choices when they want to buy a formula for their infants. And, and from your, your research on the, the Latin American market, what, what are your observations there of the differences between the different markets? Looking at the size of the countries, you know, population size of like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela, 
Uh, I looked at also Honduras, Bolivia, uh, and then compare it to North America. So, I mean, you can see, for example, that, you know, if looking at the, I mean, obviously Brazil is the largest country, and then Mexico is the second. Just the two of them together have the same number of like uh, population as US. But if you look, uh, so this is uh, total uh, Latin America and this is uh, total North America. So if you're looking at the population of Latin America, quite large, you're looking at the number of annual births, how many infants are born every year. So in, in total Latin America, you have um, over 5 million. In the US, you have uh, four and a half million. And if you look at the volume of infant formula sold every year in 2017, it's not so far from one another, right? But look at the value. So the USA is twice in value compared to the uh, Latin American market. And, and this is when you look at the value compared to the volume, this is what you're looking for. You're looking for a place where you can see an increase in, in this ratio. So, which means that the price of formula is, is, uh, is going up, which means that people are willing to pay for premium formula. They are ready to make more choice. They are no longer uh, settling just for the very, very basic type of formula and so on. But, um, so this is what we're looking at. You know, you have the potential, you have the infants, you have the population, you have the volume. Now the question is, if there is room in this, uh, in this country, for formula that um, you know will be in the future a little bit more expensive. Of course, you will always have the simple, you know, basic formula. But the question is, do you have people now that are going to choose different, you know, looking for different formula that have like all kind of special ingredients in them and that um, are more uh, expensive? Our biggest success story is in China because China, in the past ten years, has uh, really driven growth in the entire global infant formula market. So if you look at the infant formula market from 10 years ago or 12 years ago, 2006, it was about $15 billion in, in value globally. Today, it's uh, over 45. And 20, about 20 billion, maybe 19 or something billion are only in China. So China has about 45% of the global market and it's been growing rapidly for over 10 years. Now it's kind of slowed down a bit because you know nothing can continue forever, but many formula in China have our ingredient, the highest in two. In a way, it's almost a standard in, uh, in China. So of course it's not in 100% of the formula, but we do have a significant market share uh, talking about just having formula that have, um, it's called OPO in China, and uh, people know to look for OPO when they buy infant formula. This is something that uh, has, we have been, you know, have been going for over 10 years, and it's been very, very successful. The manufacturers are all over the world. I think a lot of the companies are familiar with our ingredient, but the choice to bring a formula with this ingredient to other countries to other geographies that comes from the way the companies see the growth in that particular region so if they will identify uh, growth and interest in premium formula then they will be interested in bringing those uh, formula 
I don't know if we can drive the change or we just have to wait for the change to happen. You know, I don't think that we can change Latin America uh, behavior. Maybe other, maybe other consumer, consumer products can do that. But I don't think infant formula can do that. And as you said, a lot of it is tied with growing income as well in terms of the premium products. Yeah. And uh, an increase of uh, women joining the, the labor going to work and also awareness of uh, nutrition of the of the importance of nutrition this is uh, for example something that is very um, strong in the eastern countries like china for example where people see nutrition uh, to be bonded very very strongly with health and well-being i don't know how much the, i think the western world is now moving towards this kind of trend of seeing food as uh, something that is really crucial for your health. But uh, this is also, when Chinese are looking uh, at infant formula, they are willing to invest a lot of money in it because of course, for safety, this is the, the number one thing, but also for the quality and for the uh, nutritional value. Everyone is aware of the need for recycling, and many locations around the world have a whole variety of programs to encourage recycling, and also to reduce food waste. In many parts of Scotland, for example, households have six different bins for sorting household waste, one of which is for food waste. And from personal experience, I can tell you when they're empty, they can go a long way in the wind. Ian Clooney is Food and Drink Program Manager at Zero Waste Scotland, and he can tell us more about food waste and the organisation's carbon metric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the carbon metric, obviously, just around, it's another string to the bow, I think, is, is the way to put it. Obviously, we've got uh, we, Zero Waste Scotland sort of leading on the uh, Scottish Government's 33% waste reduction target by 2025. And what the what carbon metric does is gives us another string to the bow, another tool to sort of analyse and ensure that we're capturing all the available data. So yeah, it allows us also to get into the home um, and share with the homeowner some of those behaviour change attitudes because you, you look at things like the, the household waste element is 25% of the tonnage, but 55% of the carbon. It allows us to show the impact of food waste. If you like. Sure. And, and also it allows you to compare between household and industrial Absolutely, exactly that. So, you know, we're, we're able to, again, sort of share with various sectors, you know, what, what the impact they are having um, and what the work that they need to do or they need to improve on and get them engaged with the carbon message. I see there's, there's tonnage, which is the overriding target for the Scottish Government. So 1.35 million tonnes of food waste in Scotland a year. Scottish Government target of reducing that by a third by 2025. But sometimes you need other levers to pull on. And I think the carbon metric is, is another one of those levers, if you like, to share with change the message, you know, be able to go to business, be able to go to home or be able to go to various groups and talk about, well, actually, this is a carbon impact. And that allows us to, as I say, lever other people in, in different ways because some people react to pounds and pence, some people react or, or wear or get around the tonnage message, and then some people require the, the, the carbon metric as, an, as, as the way that they'll engage with the, the food waste reduction message. And, and is both household and industrial waste improving? Yes, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a sea change sort of coming through. I've been in position for two and a half years. Um, so just after the, 
food waste reduction target which was announced by Scottish Government in 2016 and, and there's certainly a sea change I see the, the continuing groundswell of opinion both homeowners and particularly with industry really getting engaged with the, with the message that yeah you know something needs to be done and for varying reasons you know but but certainly for a lot for a lot of businesses it's it's the pounds and pence that makes absolutely sense. I ran my own business uh, for four years, and the first thing you're looking at is making sure you're profitable and that you survive. And for a lot of businesses, reducing the food waste could be the difference between hanging on and operating on thin margins and actually having a quite a profitable business because we regularly find four, five, six percent of turnover and profit in bins, you know, and, and going down the drain. And it's a huge opportunity that some of them grasp. And for the homeowner, it's, it's sometimes it's pounds and pence as well. You know, the average household is nearly £500 better off if they reduce their food waste down. So, you know, there's, there's huge opportunities for Scotland. And yeah, it's, as I say, it's another push. We just continue to sort of drive home the message that, that food waste is, is unacceptable. And there's huge opportunities for both homeowners and business to, to improve on it. Are there any incentives for industry or is it just the savings? Yeah, no, there's there's, there's absolutely the, the incentives would be that there's, there's various routes to funding. You have the Waste Prevention Implementation Fund uh, run by Surrey Scotland. We've also got the Circle Economy Investment Fund. So there's a couple of funding pots there that can help buying capital, can support you know individuals or contractors, or specialists going in to advise on the company and, and maybe improve processes. And obviously we've got a lot of partner agencies who do good work. So you've got Scottish Enterprise and, and you've got others who business gateways such like for smaller startup businesses are there to support but yeah there's there's a number of funding available that can help you know kind of get this improvement and and would you communicate with the companies directly or do they come to you to see how they can improve yeah absolutely we've got a, a varying mixture with with smes we have waste and advice and support service so we've got free food waste audits the, the only ones that we're aware of within the world so if you're an sme you can come to zero waste scotland a contractor will come in and spend anything between one and four days in your business analysing and, and understanding where your waste is and giving you recommendations and giving an implementation plan uh, and highlighting sources of funding. For non-SMEs, obviously, there's far fewer of them within Scotland in food manufacturing and in, in, in across the board in all sectors. And we have a sector manager engagement uh, plan to that. So we have a couple of sector managers who will go out and meet these big guys one-to-one and discuss you know, where the savings can be made and what we can do to help with that. So, yeah, there's a, there's a sort of twin-track approach with whether your large organisation will come in and speak to you one-to-one individually. And SMEs, you know, there, there's support and particularly the starting point would be the, the food waste audit, which is free. The statistics for food waste, is there any way of measuring how much food waste is not recycled in the food waste recycling bins? Yeah, in the food waste recycling bin, in the in the, the standard bin, um, we still have potentially up to a third in the, the, the household residual bin can be up to a third of food waste. So there's a, there's a real need to segregate out food waste. That, that has to be the starting point, has to be the first action for the household and, and for businesses ensuring that you are segregating correctly. And then it's about measurement, you know, it's about weighing, it's about monitoring and, and making sure that actually, you know, we've got measure, we've got, we understand the size of the price. So whether that's be the household or whether that be particularly businesses, you understand the size of the opportunity for your business. And then it's about targeting and, and acting. So it's about ensuring that you've got the right measures thereafter challenges with, with the size of the bins, um, liners for the bins, uh, a, a, a quality uh, food collection across Scotland. We, we, we have 32 local authorities uh, and we continue to work on a kind of daily basis with them to try and provide a, you know better quality coverage for food waste uh, collections because you know, we, we'd be the first to agree that there are challenges with getting all the food waste in the right bin, getting it presented for collection 
collecting it by local authorities and then obviously understanding and weighing it and then looking at recycling options for it as well. Are you able to measure food waste from different industries, so sort of vegetables as opposed to meat as opposed to dairy? We have a handle on some of that data. We just continue to, to improve. Um, we work sort of daily with trade bodies through RAP as well. So obviously RAP down south, which is, is UK-wide. You know, some of the large organisations uh, are signatures, and many of the large organisations are signed up to that. So the big dairy producers, for instance, the big retailers are signed up to RAP. And then we've also got the, the recently published roadmap, which just came out this week, which 87 of the largest organisations have signed up to to show they're going to, sh- to move towards reducing food waste and hitting the sustainability UN sustainability target of reducing food waste by 50% by 2030. So yeah, the, 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 we, we deal with a number of the big guys in that way, but we continue to improve da- data on it on a daily basis. You know, that, that has to be the way we present our argument is that we have evidence-based forward saying this is, this is why you need to change your behaviour because here are the exact numbers. So we know, you know, potatoes are the most wasted, bread is the second most wasted and milk, liquid milk is the third most wasted. So we've got some of those key elements and then what we then take that forward from the household is that we then have specific industries. So we know the dairy and the bakery industries are particularly challenging because of temperature sensitive and highly wasted in the home as well. So that that behaviour, you know, we need to look to be changing that and we look to help with manufacturers and retailers in trying to change that behaviour in home. How do you approach that? Is it through labelling? Is it through information to householders to not throw things away as quickly as they do? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a huge amount of work on, on various different strands, but, but certainly one of the major ones that we utilise is the Love Food Take Waste campaign, which is um, sort of UK-wide, uh, and it's also um, utilised in Canada, New Zealand. We buy into that and utilise that, and so the homeowner recognises that Love Food Take Waste branding. So it is on pack. There's a number of messages that we, we, we encourage people to put on pack, whether that be manufacturers or through our work with retailers. Secondly, we, we do a huge amount of, of um, behaviour change training and a behaviour change engagement through community groups, through workplace training. We have a workplace training programme where we will go in and train large workforces. So we go into large businesses and talk to them about their life as a consumer. So not just at work, obviously, because they'll bring food into work and there's canteens at many of these large organisations, but actually how they reduce food waste at home. We then also um, do a huge amount of work with, with a, a whole raft of very good and strong local community organisations in Scotland. So lots of great community groups that do good quality work on so many elements. And we tap into that, we utilise them and we talk to them and we give them material, and we attend events and we give the talks uh, and we train them. We go through Train the Trainer with a lot of these community organisations. So they're in a better place to then train their local community. So it's, it's really... You know, it's a hard push about behaviour change because it's very personal. And when you're talking about in the home, you are going metaphorically into somebody's home and saying that they're not doing something right. Um, And that's hugely challenging. So what we need to do is ensure that the message is, well, the reason why we're we're encouraging you not to waste food is, you know, there's the carbon metric angle, there's the financial angle, you know, and and, and really there is the environmental angle overall that is the right thing to do. You know, we've all had the the blue planet um, effect around plastics. What we need to do is ensure that that's sort of carried on to, to lots of different things, and particularly including food waste, because as we know, it's the most harmful carbon impact that, that that's coming out of the house. Do people tend to throw away food early, earlier than they should? 
there remains a challenge. Absolutely, there remains a challenge around best before and use by dates, and, and, and a number of the retailers have done a great work in, in sort of reducing that and just going down to the, the use by uh, and taking off the best before dates, and, and that will continue. You know, we're looking at that groundswell back to the, as we talked about earlier, the groundswell of opinion that um, retailers, manufacturers get that it's confusing. It's the, it's the number one reason for people throwing stuff out is confusion around dates. So what we need to do is look to improve on that, and that can only be done through education, but also by simply removing the best before dates because people will look at a pack of cheese and say, oh, this was best before. Actually, the use-by date, best before is a sign of quality and the use-by is a sign of food safety. Now, we want to get people focused on food safety and then they can make that decision. Prior to that, if they don't think it's the right quality, then absolutely they may well choose to throw that out. But what we don't want is people confused, which is happening right now, and then that results in a significant waste because we look at two dates I'm a bit confused, safety first, and then the bin it goes. Uh, and that, that, that remains an issue, but as I say, we're doing, we're doing great work in the retailers and manufacturers doing great work in improving that picture. Finally on the show this week, we hear from INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton with his weekly look at the global dairy markets. Butter this week has been relatively stable. Uh, we had a quiet start to the week with some people thinking that we might see stronger price action. Uh, but trade at the end of the week is around 45.75 for quarter one, which is pretty steady in, com- in comparison to the end of last week. Cream has been lower all right on the week, which was felt might put pressure on butter towards the end of the week. But cream has traded up around or traded down around the 5700 level. Gimbal powder has found some support on the week and would have to be classified as, as a bit stronger, particularly in quarter four, where it was up about 50 euros on the week to the 1580 level. This was largely on the back of end user buying. Thanks, Liam. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tools and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. That's all we have time for this week, so please join us again next week on the Dairy Reporter Dairy Dialogue podcast.